Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I interview Saren Mori, Jody Bretnall, and Art Guerra of Guerra Paint and Pigment Corp. Here's what Betsy Bober Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about Guerra Paint. As the mother of an artist who graduated from Rhode Island School of Design, better known as RISD, it was particularly exciting for me when I discovered Guerra Paint back in 2011 while walking on 13th Street. From art schools to artists, from decorators to painters, and everyone in between, this shop attracts people from all over the country. It is an absolute candy store for every artist. Opened in 1986 by Art Guerra, he and his team of artists have collected thousands of pounds of pigment that they then turn into usable paints for their customers. Their primary resources are from textile and plastic companies, as well as the automotive industry. When Porsche decided not to use a color that was created for them, Guerra zoomed in and purchased this vibrant blue with a violet cast. The colors bring smiles to my eyes, Art shared with me before officially beginning our interview with him and his partners, husband and wife, Jody and Saren. He went on to say that he came from San Francisco to New York at the age of 25 and was introduced to painting, not having had any interest before, but then never looked back. In 2019, Art Guerra turned 80. My name is Art Guerra, and I started the business, Guerra Paint and Pigment, 32, 33 years ago. Jody and Saren entered into, we all got together as partners back about, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, it was years ago. 2000, and then in 2003, we incorporated to Guerra oh, okay. Paint and Pigment so we're, Corp. we're a corporation. A small corporation. <laughs> small, co- very small corporation. <laughs> and Saren, can I have you introduce yourself, please? Uh, my name is Saren Mori. And Jody? Hi, I'm Jody Bretnall. So, Saren and Jody, how did you get involved in Garapane and Pigment Corp? Uh, let's see. I first met Art. I was getting my master's degree at Pratt Institute, and Art uh, came in and did a lecture for my painting processes course. So he came in to talk about paint technology and materials and techniques. And uh, I thought, wow, that's really cool. And then years later, I was bartending in Williamsburg and uh, befriended a woman, a local woman, who was working at the store for Art Guerra, and she asked me if I wanted a job. That was in the 90s. 92? 92, 93, something like that. And it just, at a certain point, Art had to move to Florida with his family, and he was trying to run the business, traveling back and forth, and just wasn't working out, and it was clear that he needed help. So I said to my husband, you want to get involved with the paint business? And he was like, I I guess, (laughs) sure, why not? Actually, I said no. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's how that started, yeah. Yep. (laughs) And Art, how did you start the business? How and why? Well, Jimmy Carter hired me for Sita to paint murals, and I had never painted a mural, but I was painting 16-foot large paintings, so that was an easy step. However, I didn't realize that there weren't any paints specifically for murals. So I bought what was available, and lo and behold, I wanted to mix the red with white to get kind of a skin tone 
And the minute I did that, the red turned into a gray. And I was like, what the hell? I couldn't figure it out. So I phoned up the paint company and they said, oh, we were trying to make the red a darker red. So we mixed black with that. And I was like, you mix black? Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. You know, no, that's a good color to mix with red. And I was like, no way. So I started looking around for other ways to make paint and discovered that there was a paint company in New Jersey, Ducks Paint, and they sold colored concentrates. So they set me up with a whole kit, about 12 different colors and an acrylic that I could mix the colors into. They were called universal dispersions because you could mix them with both water-based and solvent-based. So I would be outdoors with a great big table and I'd have all all these colors and paint mediums on there and artists came by and they were like, what is this? What are you doing? How do you make that? So out of this interest, I began to expand and get more colors and it kept growing and people kept asking questions and people kept trying to steal things. Uh, You don't know what it was like to paint a mural outdoors in the Lower East Side in the uh, 80s and 90s. It was like you had to paint and then look and see if everything was still there. (laughs) Paint more and then look. And then one time I was painting and this guy said, Mr. Mr. And I looked down and... I saw a whole bunch of people and they were going, Mr. This man just took all your brushes. So I hurry down the ladder and I go after this man and he's walking along with all the brushes and I sneak up behind him and I grab them back (laughs) and this man starts screaming, my brushes, my brushes, you're stealing my brushes. And I said, no, those are my brushes. No, those are my brushes. And I... I didn't know what to do, and I looked over at this guy that was always seated at the same place, and uh, I said, what should I do? And he said, don't give him anything. You know, so I kept the brushes, walked back, and I... Your brushes. (laughs) Yeah, I found out that he was a famous artist from Russia, and he had no brushes, and he had no paint. He had nothing, poor guy. Oh, goodness. But I didn't give him the brushes. <laughs> how, how did you come to paint that gringo mural that was ended up being pretty famous? Um, they made a documentary about it. When I finished all the murals I did for Sita, I was told that this guy was very interested in my painting. And would I be interested in painting a mural for a movie that was being shot in the Lower East Side? And the movie was about following a junkie around all the time and documenting him. So I ended up painting this mural by the name of Gringo. Which was the name of the guy. Which was, no, the, no, that the was the name of the movie. Oh, okay. The name of the guy was Spacely. Oh, right. You can still look him, look him up and find out about the movie. But I spent half a year up on top of a roof painting the side wall. St. Mark's Place. St. Mark's Place. Yeah. And uh, having lots and lots of adventures <laughs> with people. <laughs> Your favorite. Those were crazy days. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Art, you didn't grow up in New York. You grew up in the San Francisco area. How did you become interested in art, and how did you end up in New York? I became interested in art when I had a drop out of a chemistry course that I was taking. So I went and saw my home teacher, and he said, why don't you take an art class? We're just opening that up. And I said, well, I, I'm not interested in painting. And he said, oh, go on, just take it. Take it as an elective. And I said, okay. And so I started painting, and it was like the beginning of a love affair right from the very beginning. And I didn't care about science anymore. I didn't care about anything. I wanted to paint. And, to the um, great chagrin of your father, who wanted yeah, you to be a doctor father, like him, right? My father was a doctor. When he found out I wanted to be an artist like my mother, uh, he just freaked out. It went crazy, but he had to accept it. And uh, at the end, he made his doctor friends come and see my um, art exhibits and graduate shows. And, how, and that was in San Francisco still. So how did you come to New York? I had an old 1936 Chevy ton-and-a-half truck, and I loaded all my paintings and just drove out and had a breakdown every hour. Uh, it took us a little over two weeks to get here, uh, but we made it and eventually opened up Gara Payne. How old were you when you moved here? Uh, about 25, 26. And... Saren and Jody, can you tell me about how you met and a little bit more about how you got involved in the business? Do you want to talk about how we met? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we met at Bard College. The story is he saw me glowing in a field. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and all of a sudden I said, I was sitting in the cafeteria and I said to my girlfriends, is that guy staring at me? And they were like, uh, yep, 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 he is. <laughs> so I uh, I worked in the coffee shop at Bard, and Jody would come every day and get iced coffee and chat me up, and eventually yeah. we started dating, and then post-Bard we got yeah. married. Yeah. Is it true to you, you didn't want to go out with him at first? Well, it takes me a long time to... It sure you know. did. <laughs> it sure did. A lot did. of iced coffee. Yeah. i got to get to know someone Two years. first. We started dating senior year, before senior year. Yeah, I guess we did talk for a couple of years. We got to be yeah. friends first. Yeah, the trick was I was having a recording session before the school year. I used to play bass in a rap band, and um, she agreed to hold my bass and my um, espresso maker. In my dorm room, because I was going to be a, a counselor, so I was up early in the summer, but yeah, that was his little ploy. Ended up working out for him, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you each study at school? I started as a literature major and switched over to fine arts. Mm -hmm. um, it just was, I, I'm from a family of a lot of artists, so it just ended up calling me. I went to, my, at first I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be an artist. My family are all artists. I'm going to do something else. Yeah. Uh, and then I went on a backpacking trip freshman year with some friends to Europe and went to all these museums and saw all this amazing art. And I was just like, I have to be an artist. And so that's how <laughs> that happened. Um, and what was your major? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, it was theology. Theology and literature. A lot of word, a lot of books. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, a lot of books. And then you, did you move to New York right after school? She did. 
Mm-hmm. I yeah. did, and then he followed me. Yeah. Yes. Didn't lose my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and what did you do up until the point where you got involved with Gera? Oh, I did a bunch of stuff in New York, a bunch of different jobs, you know. But the job preceding Gera Payne, I was uh, doing copywriting and technical writing in the mm-hmm. boating industry. I was um, doing a lot of waitressing and uh, bar- then bartending. And yeah. And you were at school here? I was in school. Yeah. yeah. She went yeah. To I went to Pratt. Graduate yeah. in 96. Yeah. Got my. So we were living in crappy apartments for years and years and years. Yeah. Did a lot of moving around. Yeah. A lot of moving around. Yeah. <laughs> Bad moving around. Finally settled. So that was good. Yep. Finally did. Yeah. So, Jody, how did you become so invested in this field <laughs> coming from a background of theology and philosophy? <laughs> it's pretty wacky. He always he says, no he always says dumb luck. <laughs> my life has been a series of unfortunate events. Oh, stop it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, it's actually kind of related. It's all about how to survive. I, when I went to college and got my degree, I just <clears throat> had been in a car accident and I, I'd been in a coma and was in a hospital for a year and I had to relearn the alphabet. So by the time I got to college, I had to relearn, I had just relearned the alphabet. So I just, my whole focus was on getting better at language again, like just thinking about language and philosophy, which is great, you know, but by the time I got out of college, I was like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And I was doing job, weird jobs. It was kind of like a Bukowski kind of life. I was doing this and that and didn't really have an interest in doing much. You know, I didn't really want to. I don't know. Well, you were playing music. Yeah, I was playing. I played a lot of music. I didn't really have a career path. And this sort of just like was an organic process in which it's sort of like, well, I actually have a pretty, I have an ability to learn things, remember things. And I just, you know, it was a really good fit. It was a real weird, random, good fit, you know, and then I ended up getting really interested in color. I had been a painter earlier on in my life and all that, you know. So. Yeah, before his accident, he got accepted to the Philadelphia College of Art for the studio school. So, you know, I I always had kind of an interest in in color and composition and things like that. And now you are owners of Gera. Yeah, Yeah. we became partners with Art in 2000. We started an initial agreement. We weren't sure. It was just sort of this, like, preliminary agreement. And then in 2003, um, we incorporated. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've been slowly restructuring and changing and improving and... Uh, growing, a lot of slow, restructuring. slow growth yeah. is important. Otherwise, you get overwhelmed. Art, you had mentioned to me earlier that when you started Gara Paint, you just had no idea how to actually run a business. No, uh, zero, none. How did you figure it out? <laughs> he did. <What>? <laughs> <I didn't. laughs> he found you. Yeah. <laughs> he found you guys. Some, somebody came in and yeah. said uh, was interested in you know the business, and uh, eventually they said. Well, um, did you have any trouble getting a, uh, a license? A business for license, it? yeah. And I went, what? <laughs> you need one of those. <laughs> you, need a, you need a license? Why? <laughs> well, you have to have a license to have a business in New York. Oh and that, that's God. actually why I became a corporation because he, it was a sole proprietorship, and that's when you you actually assume all liability, and you're dealing with chemis- chemicals, and you know you're dealing yeah. with like you know. It's heavy stuff, you know. But so when we got involved, he had moved to Florida, and things were not in a great place. 
and then 9-11 happened. Yes. Right after we got involved. So we spent many sleepless nights. And we didn't know anything about business when we got involved. But, no. you know, you just, you don't quit. You keep getting up every day and you move through it. And... Yeah, that was, you can't plan for that. Yeah. What kind of changes have you been making? Uh, well, we had to computerize the business. Things were really old school. It was all like little handwritten books. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Um, so Jody did all the computerization, yeah. and um, we had to change all the packaging. Art had everything packaged in Chinese deli pints. He was really about offering things as, you know, he wanted to offer high-quality stuff as cheaply as well, possible. That's because there was a large surplus market, which is no longer there. After, yeah. after globalization, the, the whole surplus market yeah, that's a, that's a really big point. That's how yeah. art was able to get started. Can you explain more what you mean by that? <clears throat> there used to be this really large surplus industry in which you could get stuff, like, as art used to say, for pennies, you know. If you knew how to find it. If you knew how to find it. In particular? Pigments? Yeah. Actually, one of the first things Art and I did as partners is we went to Joel Udell's uh, warehouse in Pennsylvania. Remember that? Oh, my God. He was a very big player in the surplus industry, mm -hmm. and he had a, a company called Pyramid Chemical, and he called Art, and he said, hey, if you can get here with a truck, I'll give you everything for free, because he, he was getting slapped with the Superfund. So anyway, so he had a lot of colorants, and so Art and I went there, and we went tagged and bagged about two trucks worth of stuff and it was that was actually the, where the last of the Quinacridone giant trucks giant trucks and Art had yeah. ages ago had discovered these uh, like pigment bibles on the street uh, which give all the technical information so you know exactly what you're dealing with and so you know he's, he's actually got a photographic memory for pigments and now Jody does too but it was the last of the heyday of like the Herxt and the so they the knew how to go into this warehouse and find oh all the God. gems basically and so we got a lot of um, extinct pigments which is one of our um, specialties we have pigments that nobody else has particularly quinacridone gold nobody has that one anymore and we, we still have many drums of it we have tons of it yeah yeah tons so I think a good way to move into what you do here at Gara is to talk about exactly some of the products that you carry and the kinds of people who are your clients here. Mm -hmm. What we are and the uh, terminology we use is we're a paint component system. So that's what really sets us apart from other paint companies. We're offering you the components that go into pre-made paint. This is not pre-made paint, you make the paint yourself. We're giving you the opportunity to make the paint yourself. And why I say it's an opportunity is because our specialty are these pigment concentrates called uh, dispersions. And this was the thing Art discovered when he was doing his mural stuff. Um, this is how the industrial manufacturers make paint. They have a pigment concentrate called a dispersion. The dispersions, being able to have a dispersion and add it to your binder, i.e. medium, binder is a technical Acrylic. term. Yeah, is the big bonus here because you get to control your saturation of your color. You get to have your color be as intense uh, and beautiful as you want. You're not getting a predetermined amount of pigment in your pre-made paint. So that's, that's the main thing here is that we give you the chance to add the color yourself. And our dispersions are all made in-house the old-fashioned way with the ceramic ball mill. The dispersions in the industrial uh, market are now made with these big steel blades that spin around, and they don't give you quite as perfect high, a grind. High speed. 
So we use, um, the, it used to be done with these uh, ceramic ball mills, which is a giant ceramic tank with um, little ceramic balls it's inside. A it's, a steel, a, a, it's a steel tank with ceramic lines. Ceramic lined, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. The reason why they don't use this stuff anymore is because it's incredibly difficult to use, right? You have to be a monster. You have to be able to like <laughs> do thousands of pounds, which Jody does. Um, moving this equipment, ha having to manipulate it back and forth to clean it, it has to be rinsed m many, many times before moving to the next color. So what are the benefits of doing that? Is so you get the cleanest color. Cleanest okay. color. <clears throat> what is, what, for someone listening who might not know, what does clean color mean when you use clean to describe a color? Yeah. It, you want to take it that? means it hasn't been contaminated by metal, which always darkens. Right, it discolors the color. It's being ground to its finest grind. So the finest grind is called a Hegman 8. And so that is when the pigment particle is being used to, to its most efficient potential. So you're getting the cleanest, brightest, brightest color. color. But our formulas have the pigments at the highest percentage <laughs> they can possibly be at right. and still be a, a functional liquid. Right. Yeah, so they're super, super strong. They make between 8 and 16 times their volume. So a tiny little bottle, a, a one-ounce bottle, is going to make you between um, 8 ounces and 16 ounces of paint. And Art, you had something to add? Yeah. Um, it wasn't like we just looked this stuff up in a book and went, oh, I see. Uh, we actually went out and got people who had been in the industry a long time to teach us. We're charting a territory that cannot be Googled. <laughs> Can't be Googled. Yeah, this is all based on <laughs> lots of deep, intense chemistry and uh, pigment knowledge. And art yeah. started with a lot of these guys, and I ended up meeting these guys, and all these guys are kind of gone now. And so there's like there's a whole backbone of technical knowledge that just isn't available anymore. Mm -hmm. And know. they just learned by well, doing, they, essentially? They, they work for the big boys. Meaning? They worked for, you know, like the original really, really high quality dispersant company was Daniels. Which artists know nothing about. Right. right. Oh, well, so speaking of which, pigments are not made for artists. <laughs> right? Pigments are not pigments. made for artists. <laughs> pigments are not made for artists. Let's say it all together. Pigments are, are not made for, for artists. <laughs> <laughs> Pigments are made by large chemical manufacturers for the larger industries, such as automotive. And automotive pigments are some of your very best pigments. Why? Because they have to be weather fast. They have to be light fast. They're in the sun all day long. Very often they want them to be transparent because they're adding a metallic to it to give it a sheen. But yeah, so actually we specialize. We, we also have the historical pigments, but we specialize in the contemporary pigments. And uh, many of those are automotive pigments because those are the best pigments for artist purposes. We have the world supply of the cream-colored Buick, the pigment yellow 24. Yeah, so... The so Flavin Throne. I was Flavin talking about yeah. how we have extinct pigments. <laughs> yes. We have extinct pigments because in the larger industry, they decide for whatever reason that pigments are no longer, you know, viable. So they delete them, quote-unquote. Uh, so we make it our business, and sometimes they call us and say, hey, we're getting rid of this pigment. Would you guys want to buy up the, the rest of this? So we have now accumulated this large collection of quote-unquote extinct pigments, which have been deleted in the larger industry. What causes exactly, what causes a, a, a company to delete a pigment? It's usually market conditions. P pigments become 
unpopular. So, like in the seven, was it the seventies? That pea green color, all those Nicolazos mm-hmm. we have. Everybody's house was this green and orange mm-hmm. color. Um, we got it. Yeah, we got it. <laughs> I feel like Elizabeth Warren. You know, I've got an answer. I've got a plan for that color. Yeah. Artists love it. You also have a color on the wall called crap brown. I think crap, crap green. Crap green. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. That's the gray A eighty one fifty one, and that's all the cobalts mixed together. <laughs> that's gray A. We purchased it that way, but the crap green uh, sounds better. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Shepherd Color Company, who makes all the best cobalt. When they clean out their tanks, they mix everything together, and that's crap green. But I it's, see. It's, it's a great like a, color. It's like a gamboche. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's what? Gamboche. Gamboche. Um, <laughs> people love it, yeah. It's really opaque. It's really earthy. Yeah. It's good because actually that's a good example of how color works. The crap green is actually all the oxides mixed together. So what you're looking at when you look at the color, all the colors are canceled out, and that's why it looks so dead. Yeah. So when you're looking at a single pigment like on the wall, all those colors are so bright because it's the instance, the single pigment is the instance in which it's one color wave. You're looking at one color wave and that's why it looks so clean and pure. And that's why we harp on um, the fact that we have so many single pigment concentrates because a lot of people sell, they they might have a wide color line, but a lot of those colors are mixtures. And once you start mixing mixtures, you're gonna get mud that much sooner because you're mixing too many light waves. So to describe the store, the thing we hear over and over and over again is the customer will come in, they'll be here for a little while, they'll, they'll enter the door, they'll see the giant color chart, well, which you can see from the street. It's a hand-painted color chart, which has all of our colors, which is like 230 different colors, more than anybody in the world, actually, uh, of single pigments. And we've got a couple of mixtures, but most of them are single pigments. Um... And so the thing that everyone ends up saying is, oh my God, this is like a candy store for artists. And it's true. And we have all these other (laughs) crazy fun things you can throw in there as well. And we do demonstrations right here whenever people come in, they want to talk about what they'd like to do. And uh, yeah. Also, uh, the other thing people say is this is like pigment mecca. So (laughs) Pigment mecca? Pigment mecca, I've heard that a lot, yeah. Um, So once you pass the giant color chart, hand-painted color chart wall of all the pigments. Then you walk to the back and you see all of the dispersions uh, on the shelves. And then beyond that are the actual dry pigments, which, uh, you know, we take the dry pigments and we grind them into the water-based pigment dispersions. But for people who want to make oil paint, we do sell the dry pigments also. Um, So yeah, it's just a big giant wall of color. Come on down. Perfect. So, okay, I would love to hear more about the customers you serve here. And let me just finish with the paint component system. So um, we give you all the parts to make your own paint. So we specialize in the pigment concentrates, which are the dispersions. You can add those to the binder. We have a variety of binders, glossy, matte, uh, textured. um, And then we have uh, additives you can add to thicken it up so you can make gels. Uh, and then we have all this other like dry filler stuff you can throw in, like glass beads and pumice and magnum and tire rubber. So basically artists will come in and they'll say, this is what I'm looking to do. And we'll take them into the back and experiment and show them the stuff and how to make what they are dreaming about. And then they walk out of here uh, with some knowledge and some paint components and they start getting busy making their own paint. 
So our customer base is primarily artists, fine artists, but we also deal with a lot of designers. Um, and particularly some of our biggest customers are people that do uh, specialty wall finishes, like all the anthropology stores, mm -hmm. all those plaster walls. That's all our color. Uh, we have a lot of muralists. Well, art started the business is kind of like a mural-based company. And um, so, yeah. Still there. Yeah. All sorts of, um, you know, faux finishing, decorative designers, as well as fine artists. Yep. You come to realize that with the emergence of the internet and that, you know, it's it's taken a lot of market share, like with all kinds of other businesses, you know, we have they we have a relatively steady trickle of internet orders. So you come in on Monday and someone bought something on Sunday, and that's kind of... Mm -hmm. And also when the internet nice. appeared, it became... Um, we realized we didn't have to go the extra mile to go into distribution because we'd rather not go that route. Uh, so we didn't. We didn't go into distribution because we were more focused on quality. So there was a philosophical point there, and that is that we would rather make small batches of high-quality color because if you're going to do it, you may as well do it well. You know. So the whole thing about distribution is that you get kind of spread out a little thin in terms of quality because the volume is can't really uh, support the distribution. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, the internet became a different type, a different form of distribution where you're blindly selling stuff and you're not really dealing with one-on-one um, -on -one customer relationships. So it was actually kind of interesting how we didn't get into distribution to focus on quality and that the quality that we have in our products has actually allowed us to grow in a small way, which in a really good small way. We're, we're very much word of mouth, you know. I remember the first time I used this stuff, I was like, what? How can, why is not everybody using this? This is pure, intense color I get to add it myself? It's what? Pure, it's pure fun. It's pure fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's true. It is. It's fun. It becomes fun. You I, I think it's important for people to know that we've really done our homework. Like, we've studied with a lot of people. We've really tried to learn. Read a lot. Yeah, read a lot. Uh, we've tried to learn what this is really about and how uh, artists can utilize it. We try to teach. We do a lot of teaching here. We teach artists about the things they're not taught in art school. You're not, you get the same old basic palette in art school. This knowledge has not carried over yet and it really needs to. People are stuck in that historical palette and uh, a friend of mine said, you know what, if the old masters had an opportunity to use these pigments, you think they wouldn't be? They'd be all over this stuff. So we're tr <laughs> it's true, right? It is you know? true. It is I really mean, true, the yeah. most incredible materials are available, and so we're just constantly trying to um, show people these things. From Stasi to Rockstar. And also just the idea of making your own paint is, is wonderful <laughs> because you get to invest yourself in it and uh, you are... Totally. Yeah, your your personality is going to come through in the painting. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie, and this has been a podcast by Manhattan Sideways. If you're interested in learning more about this business or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, be sure to check out our website, www.sideways.nyc, and follow us on social media, at NY Sideways. See you next time.